Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And thank you for coming out and being together in this very cold weather. I'm going to start with a movie review. <laughs> I bet most of you probably have, or many of you may have seen this movie everywhere. Oh, wait a minute. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I see that. Well, anyway, I saw this movie. I saw it on the plane. And um, well, I guess it's a few months ago. But I'm really, uh, I found it, I like crazy stuff. I'm a fan of, well, I'm a fan of Terry Pratchett, and I grew up reading um, Douglas Adams. So that level of absurdity appeals to me. And funnily enough, that's kind of what um, brought me to Zen, because there were so many of these stories, these absurd stories, these crazy exchanges and happenings in, in, the, in the records of the ancestors that appealed to me. But that being said, one of the reasons I think that this movie appeals to a lot of people, and I heard, you know, for a while people talking about it, even my brother, my brother is a Mino curmudgeon. And as much, you know, you know, and what that really means is that he's the most tender-hearted person in the room. You know, for all the complaining and all of the thrashing about and you know, fussing and, you know, judging the most tender-hearted person in the room. Even he was impressed by it. Let's say impressed. It's not going to say he liked it. Impressed. <laughs> but, yeah, I think there are some, there's a, uh, a message, some truths in that, that the creators were very creative, were trying to get across. And it was hit or miss, you know, however you feel about the movie. You know, I, I kind of fell asleep in the middle of it somewhere and woke up, you know, at, spoiler alert, the sausage finger, you know, <laughs> thing. Um, okay. But that doesn't mean that I found it boring. It's just that I was on a plane going somewhere I would have rather stayed in bed, <laughs> you know, rather than go. But I think the reason why it appeals is because people see that. And there's that big corny line towards the end. Kind. Can't we just all be kind? Because that's all that we really want is kindness. But from my memory of the movie, my sleepy memory of the movie, what I got for, from it, what I thought they were trying to say is one, that we are impermanent and that really all we have is this moment. That's almost, a, I, I didn't go back to the movie and try to get quotes or anything. But that's there. That none of us know anything don't know 
we don't know. That we have a choice. We have a choice. There's a way beyond this that we can choose and that we can choose to be kind. We can choose to walk the path of kindness. That's what I got from it. My opinion. Put it in the comments below if you got it, another one. There's this nihilistic bent, I think, in human beings. It runs through how we work. It's our habit, our intellect, to insist on assigning meaning to every little thing, to even this little thing. It has to mean something. It has to be for something. There has to be a trajectory or a formula that we can follow. And especially in, uh, you know, I think in this American culture, we're obsessed with the plan, the formula that's going to get me from there to here, that's going to get me higher or farther or better. It's almost as if, you know, like, like a kid, you know, you have this little, when I was a kid, I had this little ritual that if I put my toys in this corner, you know, like mommy said, mommy wouldn't ever get mad. She wouldn't come in mad. Mommy always comes in mad because she just came from this crazy job that she had, one of the crazy jobs that she had. So, you know, but the toys were in the corner and that was going to make it all right. It never did. But a child's brain says that. This child's brain says a whole lot of things are going to be all right if I just do that. make all these plans and plans and plans and you know I feel sorry for you know folks that grow up thinking they're going to be a certain thing I'm going to be a secretary I'm going to be a uh, what else a minor I'm going to be this and you grow up and those jobs don't even exist anymore not in the way that you had your, your fantasy said they were I'm going to be an astronaut. Well, NASA was on hiatus for a long time, and they're not sending too many people anywhere. I'm going to go to the moon. All these things are still possible, and there's different ways of doing things, you know, in futures. That there's something about human beings that refuse to understand impermanence and change. If I just do what I'm supposed to do, I will get what I deserve. If I don't get what I deserve and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, 
I must have done it badly. And so I don't deserve it. Or I did what I was supposed to do, but all those other people are cheating. Everybody else is cheating. So I might as well cheat too. And then we all become cheaters and nobody gets what they want. It just becomes a competition for a dream. And either way, you know, the frustration and the anger and the fear, the suffering, that's what we're hold. That big delusion that causes a, a dearth of empathy for all our competitors. All the sentient beings that are cheating. And if I don't compete, and if I don't cheat, well, I'm just weak. And if I even consider the well-being of my comp competition, well, I'm not worthy of the con you know, consideration myself, you know. And then in that big circle of delusion and cheating, cheating and ego, you know, nothing matters. Nothing matters. So I choose to just do what I want. And a lot of books out there, you know, with like, how to, how to not give a, you know, whatever, a bleep. I'm trying not to curse. I, 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 I'm really bad. <laughs> so, you know. So we think that, you know, because the world is crazy and doesn't make sense and isn't giving me what I want and no matter what I do, you know, Nothing matters. And it's not a bad argument because here we are and the world is as it is and change. Why should I choose to be kind? Why should I make the choice to walk that path? when there's so many others if nothing matters if it's all empty why an example of that from my own experience and I tell this story, I have told the story a lot, because for me, it was very important. Um, it was a very important point for me. It happened, well, it happened after I ordained, but I wasn't fully in it. I was still working and living, you know, my life 
that I had before, you know, quote unquote, before everywhere and everyone, all at once, <laughs> still part of me. And I tell the story, I was getting, going home from work one day and it was really cold. This is North Carolina, so it's not this cold, but it's cold enough. Januarys and Februarys can be pretty frigid down there. And I was going back to my car. I was downtown for some reason. And I was going back to my car and that was parked in the garage and I was at the light, you know, standing or approaching the light. And there was this couple standing on the corner. They weren't dressed for the weather. They looked really bad. And I saw them as I approached, but, you know, the habit of ignoring, the habit of ignorance. And as I passed them by, something in the man's voice when he asked me, when he addressed me, made me turn and look at them. And he looked me in the eye and he said, we're trying to get $15 so we can get in the motel down the street. We just need 15 more dollars. And he looked me in the eye and that was important because, you know, I couldn't turn away. And without thinking, I didn't think about it, not really. Not a not a, uh, a a boast, by the way, because it ends badly. <laughs> I opened my purse, and there's fifteen dollars in it, and I gave it to him. Pure and simple as that. Closed my purse, stuck it back in. I'm in the middle of a city street here, you know, so you know I wasn't thinking. <laughs> and I'm a native New Yorker, so you know you know you don't do that. Pull out your wallet and everything. And I put my wallet back in my purse and I went on to the light. I don't think I even said anything to them at all. I don't know. I didn't, I don't remember saying anything to them. And I got to the light and there's a woman standing there in her coat, her nice warm coat with her fake Gucci bag. And she just had to say something. She said, you know, they've been standing there all day trying to get that money. They're just going to use it for drugs. Boom. Blew up. Just blew up. I even turned around and looked for them like I was going to go back and get it, right? And, you know, warm coat, Gucci woman kept walking disappeared somewhere. And I made my way all the way back home thinking, 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 you know, why did I do that? You know, this is $15. Now, $15 can be a lot of money for some people. I'm not saying it isn't, it isn't 
uh, important, but it's just $15. I'm a work, I was a working person. You know, I could afford a car and to, I could afford to park it in that expensive garage. And I had my warm coat on too. I'm still crying about this. On the way home, all kinds of delusions come up and it went on for days about how I was a chump, you know, they got over. I might have killed them. They could have just gone down the street and overdosed. Oh my God, what this and that and all kinds of fantasies about what those people I didn't even know were going to do. All kinds of judgments. I've been cheated. And a $15 that I probably would have blown, wouldn't even noticed what I blown, blown, had blown it on, right? It took a long time to come to terms with that because it wasn't about what those people were gonna do with my money. It wasn't about what the outcome was supposed to be. Because I can't determine that. It wasn't about whether I was a good or bad person for doing that. What's a good or bad person? What's that mean? It was about the fact that I took a moment that could have been pure Donna and set it aflame with my delusion. I do that all the time. I might be making an assumption that other people do it all the time too. And that's why we're sitting here. Things are impermanent. We don't know anything. But at that little crossroad, that moment, I made a choice, or I thought I did, or I could have made a choice. And from that particular moment, many others that I had no control over. The thing about this everything everywhere all at once, you know, it tried to show different realities, different possibilities, 
all of which are there. Different opportunities. And I'm not sure, you know, maybe I need to watch the movie again. You know, I'm not sure what thing we're going with there. You know, all these multiverses and stuff, you know. I don't think they all matter that much. This moment does. You know. So I can't control all of those everywheres and all of those everythings. Come to this with this idea of enlightenment. That an enlightened person has this superpower, this super awareness, and knows everything and can touch everything. I'm not sure that's what enlightenment is. I, that's another one of my questions that follow me around forever. Enlightenment. I don't like the word. I, I kind of sometimes don't use the word so much because I think it's kind of loaded. It's loaded with that historical kind of philosophical meaning from, um, you know, our Western kind of thought of enlightenment being you know, sort of intellectual opening or something. I think um, I think somebody eventually will translate and find a word, um, or will make one up that holds what I think um, Siddhartha might have experienced. You know that created this moment right here in which we're discussing, discussing it. <laughs> and that we're all wanting and desiring until we don't want and desire anymore. Until we become enlightened and don't want an insight and, and won't want enlightenment anymore. Not striving for enlightenment anymore, whatever that means. But maybe enlightenment is, is simply knowing that you don't know and acting out of the understanding of impermanence and change and compassion and empathy. You know, always goes back to the basics. And I say this every time. Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. There's nothing else. Everything else is, you know, trying to explain it. <laughs> but just being able to be in this state and not turn it into this ego thing that feels cheated. What, and it's not even really a conclusion. I can't say the conclusion that I got from this 
experience, but the thing that's with me from this experience is that, yeah, maybe I'm a chum. So what? Some, that's somebody's judgment. But what the experience, my experience here, you know, forget about the young, the couple, forget about the woman and her judgment. My experience reflects the disease. a broken heart, our condition, suffering. And that's why I'm here. I'm not gonna become super Buddha. I'm not gonna become Simone Roshi. None of that is, that's absurd. That's the absurdity of delusion. Don't know what I'm going to become. And that's why I took the vow. People keep asking me, it's, it's kind of, um, it feels sort of sudden because I'm sort of, uh, having left my temple uh, a while ago, um, during the pandemic, I'm meeting other people and engaging with other um, people and traditions in their temples and other priests. And, you know, it's very exciting and scary at the same time. But when you, when you come up against it, you know, my teacher knows me and I didn't have any other peers at my temple for the longest time, not really. They came and went. So my teacher knows me and we have discussions all the time. So I'm not used to explaining who, who I am or trying to identify myself for other people. People ask me if I do something, they ask me to write a bio and all I can do is list stuff. Cause I don't know what you want. What do you want to know? What, what, <laughs> you know, I don't know what you want to know. What do you need to know? But they ask me, you know, questions like, why did you become a monk? And for me, it's kind of obvious and kind of a nonsense question. Why? At this point. But if I, it forced me to kind of to go back and look at those parts of my life that put me on this path, twisted me in this direction. And one of these, you know, there's this, there's this term called a, a turning word. Um, and that, that's always been fascinating to me because I love the stories of the Buddhas and ancestors and, and stories. I love stories anyway. English major, sorry. I love stories. And there's always these stories of somebody said something 
or something fell off the roof or somebody slapped somebody with a slipper. You know, those are all turning words, those, those moments that, you know, they're pleading, you know, they don't stay with you unless you try to do what we do and make meaning out of it, then it becomes really absurd. But, you know, this has been one of my turning words, watching myself do that, watching myself turn something plain and simple, a simple response into an absurd drama, tragedy. Almost a crime. I did that. Nobody else did. And I didn't want to do that. Didn't want to keep doing that. So I took the vow. Vow that some of you in this room have taken or at least heard heard somebody take, you know, if you haven't taken it yet, to save all sentient beings, plain and simple. To follow the Eightfold Path, to follow the precepts. And all of that is also absurd too. You know, just think about what you're saying for a minute <laughs> when you do the precepts and all that, you know. But I chose. And I feel all the time, still. So, in a sense, the Bodhisattva path in these very simple, you know, in terms of these, this movie, this little absurd little gem of thought, because it's just an idea. It's not, you know, something that should be held on to. But I needed something to talk about today, and it was on my mind. You know, this little bit, little attempt to tell truth is what we do when we come here and we sit on the floor and cross our legs and light incense and candles and do all kinds of silly things, ritual, to remind ourselves to be kind, to choose, even if it comes out badly. There's another thing. And I think I'm crying, excuse me, because I'm getting old and, you know, not as tough as I used to be. 
native New Yorker, woo, woo, woo. No, that, that ain't, you know. I don't think I was really a New Yorker when I lived in New York and I grew up here. Spent 20, 25 years of my life, you know, formed by this. We're all these curmudgeons. We're really very tender. But all I'm saying, no judgment. Make a choice. That's what the vow is. Make a choice. So I'm going to stop talking because I talk too much anyway. Right, Ryan, wherever you are, talk too much. About to blow the boy's ears off and he just walked in the room. But anyway, um, thank you for listening. May our intention equally Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.